they wind up being such strengths. And so I would say that for most of us who've blazed a trail in any way, I think that because you have to prove yourself so much, you don't get to cut corners. And so I've got to work twice as hard, especially in the beginning as we build a reputation. Hey, everybody. I am so excited for this special Super Bowl week episode of Unbeatable. Now, I don't know if there is such a thing as the greatest of all time for sports journalism, but if there was, I would put my guest today, Laura Oakman, as the GOAT of sports journalism. And I don't mean just because she really pioneered women in sports journalism for decades, but she's been on the sidelines of Super Bowls more than once. And for me, that's kind of as big as it gets. So this special Super Bowl week episode, you get a chance to hear from the GOAT of sports journalism, Laura Oakman. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. Hey, Lauren, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm honored and I'm so excited. I'm literally wearing my heart on my sleeve and in my sweater. So grateful yeah. to be here. Thank you for having me. For those yeah. of you who are listening and not watching this on YouTube or Twitch, her sweatshirt says grateful. I'm grateful that you're on this episode. I love this. Can we just stay right yeah, here? I like this sweet here. spot already. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you were willing to take time out of your schedule during Super Bowl week to be with me blows me away. You're amazing. Uh, you are. Um, I can't think of a week that I would say would be too busy for this conversation. And there's nothing better to me than talking football, having a great week of football and having a great week of conversation. So thank you for thank you for this honor. Yeah, well, I'm literally talking to an expert in the game of football. We're going to get to your world of being a woman in a man's world in a few minutes. But I just can't help but to say um I got to know a little bit about growing up in Kansas City. That's hometown for you, right? No, actually, I'm a Chicago girl, but I went to the University of Kansas. So I, I adopted, you know, I have a little bit of Kansas in me, but Chicago is really my foundation. Yeah. So you uh, went to school in Kansas and studied journalism, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And by the way, you must have impressed a few people because apparently now you're running the school is what I hear. You're pretty much in charge of the entire University of Kansas. I hope no Jayhawks are listening right now who are very confused by that. Now, tell everybody what you're doing for the school right now. I, I'm glad that you're giving back to your alma mater. Uh, I'm so blessed. Uh, I am on the board of um, the William Allen White Journalism School, which is truly one of the greatest honors of my life. When you know, if you would have told that you know young woman sitting in journalism 101 and who was very intimidated and very much unsure of did she fit in this room and does she belong in this world? If you would have said I would one day be on the board of the journalism school, I, I would have said, boy, I, I hope that means I did something right. And I was really honored um, um, last year when the journalism school started offering the Laura Oakman Scholarship, which is given to a woman yeah. in financial need um, who's going to the journalism school. So it's, it, again, two of the biggest honors of my life. Well, way to pay it forward. I got to talk about you being a student in at the University of Kansas and deciding I want to really make an impact in journalism. And I think I want to do it in a man's world, literally, right? Yeah, it's it's so funny, Jeff, because I had no confidence as a young woman, not as a girl, as a young woman. And and recently, I my dad sent me um, a box of basically my history and was moving and said, do you want any of this? So I, I, I got a box that was a trip down memory lane and all these report cards. And it was all about how I had no confidence and how it was always no about trying to trying to I, everyone called me Lulu then. So it was all about we need to really make sure Lulu feels good about herself and confident. So I had none. I say that. And for some weird reason, when it came to going into a world that I was told you didn't belong in and nobody wanted you for whatever reason, that was the one thing that I had all the confidence in the world in. I knew I was a storyteller. I knew that I wanted to go do that. And the more people kept telling me, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You won't do that. It just, it, it, it just sparked a fire that I didn't know I had. And I think that was the one little kernel that I had 
that was showing me what where my confidence probably eventually was going to be. Yeah. But that took me a really long time. I just think I was so in love with the idea of telling stories about sports because they're really uh, there's no better stories to tell. Um, I think I was just so lit up by that and so turned on by that that all the other voices finally just fell. And I listened to mine, but it took me a long time to get there. Well, I can't help but think about that girl right now who's in high school or maybe she's in just starting college and she's really not sure of herself. Not that she's unsure of the future and whether or not she's going to be successful, but she's unsure of herself. And it's blowing me away, Laura, that you were that girl. And then all of a sudden you get fired up about sports, about telling sports stories and literally make it to the pinnacle of sports in the United States, the NFL. Talk to that girl who's unsure of herself right now, because you do that a lot, especially with Captivate, right? Or Galvanize, I mean? With Galvanize, yes. Oh, I love Captivate too, actually. Um, I think I'm so blessed with that because I have a company for women in sports. I used to say young women in sports, and there are a lot of young women. We're probably from 18 years old but we have women as old as old, I'm air quoting, as 50. So we are all over the map and galvanized. But whenever I do think about that young girl that I was and how, um, how scared she was, how lonely she mm-hmm. was, how fearful she was of everything and just how much she doubted herself, I always think how lucky I am because I don't have to think what I would say to myself because I do say it every day to those girls that I'm now with. So that's a really easy question for me. What would you say? Well, the same thing I told an amazing young woman this morning before you and I got on this when she struggled and having to tell her about, let's just stay right here. I know everybody's looking at there. I know everybody wants to go there these days, but let's be where our feet are and let's focus right now on who you are and where you are and let's just stay present and not worry about anything ahead. And I just wish somebody would have, told me all of that. I wish somebody would have told me to, um, I'm trying to think how to say this. I wish somebody would have said, stop taking yourself so seriously. I wish yeah. somebody would have said, lighten up, yeah. enjoy yourself, have some fun. And I wish somebody also would have said that, that there never is a there, right? Like we're just always going, 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 but there's a series of here's. And, and I know now, you know, north of 50, I'm still not there. I'm still here and I'm still trying to get there, but my goalposts change and keep moving forward every year that I get better and more confident and new opportunities that I keep going. I'm so glad I wasn't focusing on there because I never dreamed what there would look like. Yeah. Well, you really are making a big difference in a lot of women's lives, especially women that are considering um, journalism and considering, you know, a, a journalism career in sports. I I want people to hear just how brutal the journalism industry is. I don't have a lot of experience with it, done an interview or two, but I've been able to see behind (laughs) the scenes and I've been able to see just how tough this world is. So can you describe a little bit of the challenges and how competitive the journalism industry is in America? It's really, um, it's funny because I'll do a lot of interviews now and people will talk about how far we've come as women in, in sports journalism. And and this is true for any male-dominated industry, which pretty much is every yep. industry. That's right. But, it, it, but what I'll always say is if we've come so far, why is it that all the women that I coach are still dealing with what I dealt with 30 years ago? So we have come far in terms of numbers. You know, I, I, my first Super Bowl, my first big event, you know, the first time I did the Olympics or the NBA playoffs, I used to count women because I could. And I used to get to one hand yeah. and then eventually you get to two hands and you're like, cool. And now I could never count. There's so many of us. But, Jeff, what I can count are women in executive positions, women in Uh leadership. So we haven't changed that much, just our numbers have. And so I say that to say that it's the stuff that I went through 30 years ago are the same things that my girls come to me and my women come to me. And I can just tell you the first story, which really set my whole tone and my path, was my first job was in Montgomery, Alabama. I was, you know, fresh out of college. And I'm a Chicago girl, and that was as deep south as I had oh, yeah. been. Uh-huh. And it wasn't um, uh, hard for people to realize you ain't from around here, are you? You you ain't from around here because you know this in the south. It's right away. What high school did you go to? It's not what college did you go to. So you're in, 
you're an outsider immediately. And so I already was an outsider because 30 years ago, there just were, you could count women in sports. So suddenly they hire me as, um, as doing news and doing sports on television at the ABC affiliate. And I get there and I think I've made it. You know, I'm, I'm about to do my first live shot on a Friday night, Friday night high Friday school. Night you lights. Know, yeah. Right. In Big Alabama, time in so the South. Yep. That's it. So I'm sitting there waiting for the head coach of one of the high school teams to come out and I'm going to meet him really quickly before the game. We, we had a live shot and I am having a moment like all that confidence I didn't have. I had at that moment that look at me. It took me nine months to get a job. It, you know, some suddenly someone believed in me. I'm about to live my dreams. Everybody said, you can't do this. I'm sitting there having this moment and I'm like, bathing in confidence you know i'm making ten thousand five hundred dollars oh yeah you hit the big time with that paycheck (laughs) the big time and suddenly as i'm having this really nice moment i see the coach and a couple people walking towards me and he's holding a football and a basketball and i'm kind of looking at him but i'm still in my moment i'm just so happy to be there and as i go to you know put out my hand kind of awkwardly because he's holding but he says to me little girl I just wanted to make sure you knew the difference between oh, a football and basketball. Yeah. A football is oblong and a basketball is round. And I went from all the confidence in the world to literally you would have seen me deflate. And that, Jeff, was my first uh, my first entry in, entree into this world, which suddenly I realized that nobody wanted me, you know, that everything was prove it, prove it, prove it. And that lasted until I was 40 years old. Every question I asked, wow. you'll get this yeah. now that you're on the side of the mic. Every question I asked was longer than the answer because I had to not just ask how, what's, Hey, how have you adjusted from a three, four to a four, three defense? I had to explain that I knew what a yeah. three, four and yeah. a four, three defense were. And so everything became all these voices in my head constantly again, saying, we don't want you here. No one cares what you think. And that was before Twitter. So I can't even imagine now, but it was, that's what it's like being in this world that even now at this age and having done it for so long, I'm very acutely aware of if I ask a bad question, people will be like, she doesn't know anything. Men ask bad questions or men ask dumb questions. We're dumb. And so it's very much for a very long time. It's just proving yourself. How do I belong? I know what I'm talking about. I'm not sleeping with anybody. Yeah. I'm working my butt off. I deserve this. I earned this. And and that's sort of that exhausting chase of being a woman in this business. And and what happens eventually is all those voices in your head become your voice. So suddenly everybody else is telling me you don't belong. You start eventually saying you don't. Yeah, Maybe you I start don't. to listen Maybe to I those voices. Yeah. Totally. So that was the that was the work I had to do. I started that at 40, but that's the stuff I try to help these young women with now going I wasn't supposed to get confidence until the minute I got it, which was 40. But boy, if I can help a young woman at 22 find hers, she's going to be unstoppable. Because I think I would have, I, I would have, I would have lit this world on fire if I had that confidence yeah. at 22 years old. Um, I'm going to mention a couple of names uh, very intentionally. I almost never do this in this uh, mm. podcast, but one of the reasons why I was so looking forward to this interview with you, Laura, is because of a couple of women that have really inspired me over the years. So two names really quickly. Um, okay. I watched ESPN sports center and I've been fascinated by Linda Cohen trying to figure out how did this woman pull this off? Because when she started becoming a very well-known name, she was in and you really started to become very well known in the NFL at a time where there were really only two other women in the entire journalism community that were able to do what you were doing. I kind of consider you like a uh, Linda Cohen of sorts. But the, the, I think the woman that inspired me the most is years ago, my wife and I were having dinner at a special event in Nashville. And the he or the um, MC got sick and couldn't do it. Bob Costas was supposed to MC the event. So they brought in this relatively unknown to take Bob Costas's place. I sat at the table with Aaron Andrews and Aaron became the um, MC for that event that night. And I was blown away by how articulate, how intelligent, how, um, 
aware this woman was of the whole room and all of the superstars that are in this room. And that's when I realized, wow, this lady, the ladies that are in this industry, journalism in sports to begin with, but specifically, you know, on the sidelines of some of the biggest games, they're really, really that good. And I mean, much more talented than probably some of the guys that are on the sidelines. <laughs> I love that. And knowing both of them know how fantastic both of them are. I, you know, I think there's something again, I know you know this better than anybody, but if you go look at your hardest times or, or all the things that you viewed as the hardest things you've gone through or things that people told you that hurt at some particular time, they wind up being such strengths, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, that, and so I would say that for most of us who've blazed a trail in any way, and this isn't gender, but I'll just speak on this, on this part with women in sports. But I think that because you have to prove yourself so much, you don't get to cut corners. And so I've got to work twice as hard as a man, right? Because again, he can kind of, you know, ask a bad question and it doesn't change his reputation right. or his image. And it does for us. So we have to work extra hard, especially in the beginning as we build a reputation to make sure that we are, you know, my, I still have a reoccurring nightmare. It still wakes me up that I show up for an interview that I didn't know was going to happen and I'm not prepared like that wow. preparation yeah. feeling, right? So I know you understand that from every part of your life. And so I think there's something to that with, with us in this business is because we've been questioned so much because when my husband will still say this whenever I'm with him, the two of us will be standing there. People know what I do, but they'll talk about the Super Bowl and they'll ask him they'll a ask question. Him. And he'll, yeah. yeah. And he's kind of embarrassed and he'll always be like, you should ask Laura. She actually knows the quarterback yeah. very well. So there's there's something to having gone through that which makes you feisty which makes you a little probably more determined and makes you want to kick butt a little bit harder with everything you do because you know people are constantly kind of does she know sports you know how how yeah. why do, why is she in this world so i think it winds up doing us a great service but at the same time i wish it wasn't the same way for all these young women coming in you're talking right to this listening audience now because every episode is somebody who's faced insurmountable, overwhelming obstacles and didn't let it uh, hold them back, decided to keep getting up and keep facing those challenges and, and not throw in the towel. And I can't help but wonder what life was like for you 30 years ago because you described just briefly, if you were to look around sports journalism today, you'd see uh, more, many more women today than 30 years ago, yeah. but not just the numbers. I, I, I got to hear you tell us what it felt like to be a woman in the locker room or on the sidelines or doing an interview when it was almost unheard of in the NFL 30 years ago when you started. It's so funny. Cause as you're saying that, you know, I do a lot of writing and, and lately I've had to write a lot about that time in my life. And I sent it to somebody to read and she wrote back and said, do you have any happy memories? And Jeff, I didn't realize it, but like it, I, but I didn't mean I to like, laugh at you, but basically she said, is right? your entire life miserable? Did, did, did your, so, was your whole yes. life just miserable? Yes. And it was like, I look at those early years and it, to be honest, was hard for me to find a time that I was happy. And, and I think it really was because I felt the weight. I just, I was so, when you can't, I mean, I just remember my mom died during this time. So I was deep South at this time I was a year in Montgomery and then a year in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so right when I got the job in Chattanooga, which again, I thought, you know, look at me after a year I've made it. I'm now full-time sports. It was a big deal to be a woman in sports in Tennessee and my mom had passed away and I was so sad and, you know, mourning and grieving and really struggling. And I stayed home a lot and I, I didn't want to go out because I was recognized so much because it was a big deal yeah. to be the oh, only yeah. woman. Yeah. And so finally I had a girlfriend there who was in news and she said to me, let's start, let's go out. Like, let's just go out. Like, let's go have a drink. Like you're 23, 24 years old. Like, come on. And so we went out and the news didn't get over until after midnight. So we went to the one place, the one bar that was open in Chattanooga and they closed at two and the, we went there for a couple nights and my boss got a call saying, your sports girl, she's closing down bars. 
And so he called me in and I remember finally going to a bar and flirting with a boy and being mm -hmm. like, oh, this is normal life. Like, okay, I can have a drink. I can flirt. I can have a life. And then instantly was told you can't go out anymore. And so I just, there was so much heaviness of already being insecure, grieving my mom, and then having telling, having t people tell you, you can't be out anymore. And when I would be out, people would say to me, I don't like girls on TV. You know, like you don't know anything. It would constantly be a quiz. You know, like, I, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a sports journalist. I'm a sports broadcaster. And it was immediately who won the 1972 <laughs> Super Bowl. You yeah. know, like, Sports yeah. Jeopardy so, with you as soon as you yes. walk up. Yeah. Yeah. So I say that to say it was, it was a tough time. And so I look back at it and of course I can remember some really awesome, fun, amazing stories and times that I had, which I did, but I do, I think that was another reason why I wanted to start galvanized was I couldn't complain then because I was living my dream. And I didn't want anyone to think I was ungrateful. I didn't want anyone to think I didn't want it because I worked so hard for it. So if I would have said that I was sad or scared getting your first stalkers, you know, and suddenly now you really can't leave the house oh, and no yeah. one wants to be yeah. with you. And so all of that made me want to, when I, when I thought about starting Galvanize, it wasn't to help women on camera. That comes with reps and experience. Yeah. But boy, I would have killed for a mentor. Yeah. I would have killed for somebody to have, helped me through that and go, let's do this a little easier on you. Let's make this a little bit more fun for you. And that's one of the things I would have told that young woman, which was, look at you living your dream. Why don't you enjoy it a little bit more? Because I think I was so tight. And so in my head with fear, I, I just couldn't see past yeah. it. And every trailblazer blazer out there can re resonate with your story because when you're breaking yeah. new ground, you, you don't really have anybody that you can go to and ask advice. And in your case, it's almost like a double-edged sword because not only you break a new ground as a woman, but nobody really wants you there early on. Right. And yeah. so if you yeah. ask advice, you're not sure you're going to get an honest answer or if somebody's going to try to destroy your career by make, giving you some really bad advice. Right. I love it. You know that hundred percent. And that's one of the things I learned, which is, and again, this is for social media, but back then I learned two people. You have two people in your world who you need to make sure tell you everything that you need to hear and nobody else matters because two people who have no agenda. Yeah. And that like, to me, that was it after my mom passed, which even my mom would have never you know, told me what I needed to hear. My mom would have told me constantly that I was beautiful on the outside and the inside and I could do no wrong, you know, so uh, that's what even my do. mom wasn't that person. Yeah. That's her job. But, um, I, that took me time, you know, to find those two people that I could trust. And, and that way, if Twitter all of a sudden said that was the worst interview you, I've ever seen in my life, you have one to two people that you can call and go, was it bad? You know, yeah. did I screw that up royally? How did I look? So I think, um, I, I think that's probably, I don't, sometimes I, I'm careful because I don't want to make anything too gender because we share more in common than we don't. But men, I find, don't share much because of that bravado, right? Like right. I'm not going to share my feelings and all that. We're, we are different in terms, stereotyping grossly and generally. I'll speak on my behalf. I just never wanted to look ungrateful and I never wanted to look like I couldn't handle it. So I, so when people said, how are you? I said, I'm great. I'm fine. And I mean, we all do that. And But you weren't. That, but I wasn't. I struggled. And, and honest to God, it took a almost plane crash at 40 years old for me to turn my life around and go, awesome. You've checked every box that you wanted, you know, back to here or there. Yeah. So my life was boxes, you know, Super Bowl and Olympics and NBA finals and Michael Jordan, you know, like all these great experiences. But suddenly I was on a plane. And I thought it was going down. We all did. It was a massive dramatic drop and the masks came down and I sat there and I was turning and looking and I'm watching people screaming and praying and crying and going for their phones. And Jeff, I didn't care. And wow. I would tell that story and people would be like, well, because you were at peace. And I would be like, no, because no, because I, I hate my care. life so much. I don't really care. Right. Sleepwalking just slept. You know, I was just sleepwalking wow. through it all. And so I had a bunch of checked boxes. But that was it. So at 40, I finally said, okay, I got to create a life to go with my job. And I think 
many of your listeners will understand this. This isn't certainly not just my industry, it's most, but we're so focused on building that career that at some point in your life, you look around and go, I'm lonely and I'm sad. And everybody else is celebrating that championship or that Super Bowl, you know, game this week, but I'm going home alone to my hotel room. And that's not my life. Yeah, and yeah. I, again, why I wanted to start galvanize. I learned that at 40, you know, and thank God my plane didn't crash so I can create a new life. But I think about all the young women now that if I can get them to see that at 20 or 30, you know, like how great. Yeah. Well, I'm, there are lots of people listening right now who have been pursuing a goal and they are getting close or have gotten that goal and then just got totally let down because it wasn't at all what they thought it was going to be. And you made a lot of sacrifices to get there. And I have a chance to tell people from time to time, be careful what you wish for. Be careful the goals that you're pursuing after because you just might get them. And it may be worse after you get there than the the journey to get you there in the first place. And when you get there, you look around and say, I hate this here. I don't, why did I do this to myself? So and now what? Yeah. Like now the dream just stops. Oh, so man, that, it, that happened. There was a moment where I, there was a thing I was putting my entire life into uh, winning the best ranger competition. I came out on first place and the very next day, the first thing that I faced in the morning when I looked at my, in the mirror was what do I do now? now what? I have no idea oh. what to do with the rest of my life. Cause I've spent my whole life trying to do this thing. And now that I'm there, what do you do next? Hey, you, you mentioned, know, you know, oh, you mentioned your mom a couple of times. Did she have a big impact on you? Oh, my mom was everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed because I didn't have her long enough. She died when she was 50, but her voice was so strong and so beautiful and so impactful that even though I didn't get her long enough, I feel like she just, she poured so much into me. So I do feel like I miss her. You know, I, now I'm at the age where I, I've been alive longer without her yeah. than, you know, how, and, you know, you kind of do that, that math, but I don't know if I, I, I think that kernel of confidence is as like, as you just said that I just thought about it, that kernel of confidence, I didn't know who that was in me going, you know, you could do this thousand percent was my mom, yeah. you know, because if I didn't have that one voice telling me, you could do anything. I, I don't think I would have ever thought about it. And my mom was the first one when she would always tell me this, you know, when she would put me to bed and go to read a book to me, I would close the book and say, let me tell you a story. And I would make up stories to tell her to you. until I fell asleep. Nice. And so she would always say my little storyteller. And that really shaped me. And that really pushed me. Um, you know, she never got to see what I was, you know, what I, what I would accomplish career-wise or life-wise. But I think she wouldn't have been surprised and she would have been like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world for her. Well, I just want to say to people that are listening, you don't have, you have no idea how amazing Laura is. So she's helping women get, um, you know, become a mentor to women and, and uh, find mentors that can help them really achieve those goals, especially in sports journalism. But you're also helping kids and specifically kids that have gone through some loss. So tell them about the book, Mommy, Mommy Has Cancer. Ah, um, I love that you brought that up. You know, when I watched my mom battle cancer, it was just for a year. It was a year to the day. And it was so surprising and so stunning. Just she was very healthy and it was a weird cancer they never found. And um, I was at the hospital a lot. And one day when it was looking like we, we knew what the outcome was, she was getting her treatment. And I was at Northwestern Hospital on this beautiful bridge that overlooks Michigan Avenue. And so like just the juxtaposition of watching the most important person yeah, in your life die yeah. to standing in this beautiful, um, just glass, um, uh, walkway and watching the bustle of a city mm -hmm. and just seeing life go on except for you. And I remember just sitting there one day and I, I had been trying this before Amazon and before the internet, but I kept going to bookstores trying to find someone to help. Because I, you know, 23, you don't really know people that yeah. lost parents. At least I didn't. And I found that nobody wanted to talk about it because it brought up fears for them of, you know, the fear of losing a parent. And they had never thought about that. So again, I kept it quiet. And so I was standing there on this bridge and thinking about when my heart heals, I'm, I'm going to need to write a book. So when somebody younger than me, because I thought I was very old, but when somebody <laughs> younger goes through this, 
they'll have somewhere to go. And at that time, there wasn't any book for kids that helped um, that helped them after when their mom or their their dad had cancer. So that was just such a labor of love. And I always said eventually I would write the adult book, but my heart has still not been able to. And so the kid book was easy to just go, what would I have needed to hear if I was six going through this or 10? And the cool thing is I wrote that book so long ago. And again, before any books were out there, so there's a ton now, thank God. But the other day I was talking to a sports information director at a college and we were talking about football. And as we hung up, he said, I don't know if this will mean anything to you or not, but I just wanted to tell you. And it wound up his wife had died of cancer and he found my book and really? he used to read it to his little yeah. girl every night. And I just started crying. And, you know, the, the idea of him not knowing that that would be impactful. But I was like, I don't think there's anything you could have told me that was more impactful. If I know one little girl yeah. that helped, then that was that was really the whole purpose of it. Yeah. Well, the fact that you recognized that at 23 while you were going through it and you used your painful experiences to help others, especially children, because nobody mentions the word cancer around kids. And when yeah. they're seeing a, a parent die, you, you don't have the the emotional experience to deal with that. So the fact that you were willing to write that book and help a lot of children is a very big deal. And I'm proud uh, of you for doing it. Th uh, thank you, Jeff. And here's the other thing with that. I, I very purposely said mommy has cancer and didn't say an ending because I really, I struggled with when I went wig shopping with my mom, uh -huh. I probably wasn't at, you know, I was, I was young and I wish I was better at that. I wish I would have helped her more. I wish I wasn't probably thinking about what I was going to do right. that night, you know, right. like just all the things that I did that I wish I could do again, wiser. And I just wanted to make sure that all of a sudden being able to say to an eight year old or a 13 year old, mommy's beautiful, no matter what her uh -huh. hair looks like. And to tell mommy this, and when you can't see mommy, when she's in her bedroom and the door has to be shut. How cool to put little notes under the door to say how much you love, like just things like that, that I didn't do at 23 years old that yeah. I wish I would have, but how, how beautiful if there's one little girl or one little boy that does that. Yeah. And by the way, I'm totally with you. Bald is beautiful. I'm not talking like Britney Spears goes crazy and shaves her head off bald, but I'm talking about those, so. <laughs> those ladies that go through cancer, they lose their hair and they feel like they've just become ugly and, you know, unsightly. I say, don't even bother with the wig. Just go out there and rock that bald head because bald oh, is beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> it's so true, but it's like everything, right? Confidence. Like right. if you, whatever you rock, whatever you feel great in, like that's it. When any, you know, I, I, gosh, I think of all the years I wasted when I was young looking at like beauty tips, right. For aging and what creams to use and, you know, what, you know, to inject in your face and all that. And I'm like, it's sleep and confidence. Like that is the <laughs> secret. It's just, yeah. how do you feel about yourself? And I know your body might sometimes disagree, but man, when you feel good about yourself, again, not gender, this is anybody. It's just, you look 10 years younger. There's nothing cooler. Yeah. So stop shooting chemicals in your face and just get a good night's <laughs> sleep and feel good about yourself. Right? Yeah. I didn't say that. Don't I just did. Crazy I now. said it. I'm gonna put the whole uh, industry out of, out of business. Um, so hey, I cannot wait to talk about this. It is Super Bowl week. I'm not going to ask you your predictions because quite honestly, the Atlanta Falcons are not playing. It doesn't matter to me. You don't care. No, I don't really care. Um, but I do got to know what life was like for you on the sidelines of not just one or two, but you've got more than a couple of reps underneath you as a, a journalist in the Super Bowl. Um, I love it. So I've covered the game. I mean, since I think my first one was in Montgomery or Chattanooga. So I've covered so many Super Bowls. Um, I've been so lucky and so blessed to do that. But I just never, on the boxes that I was checking, I just always knew I wouldn't call one, right? Like I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not yeah, on because, that A team at all. Because that's it's, big time, right? When you get to that point, time. you have hit the big time. That's it. So, you know, like that's our A team. What, you know, I've been with the NFL and Fox for a long time and they're fantastic and that's set. So I just was always fine with that. It wasn't anything I needed, you know, just like I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm really blessed with my career and I'm not looking at anyone else's. And then um, I was asked three years ago to do the first one with Westwood One Radio, who I've been uh -huh. with for over 15 years. And so it's the national broadcast. 
And it's with Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner. And I was with Tony Baselli the last two years. And now I might go look for this one. And I say all of that saying, I probably told myself that I didn't need it. You know, it's no big deal. I have a great career. And then all of a sudden, standing on the field pregame with the flyover and watching everybody else leave the stage, the, the stage, leave the field and me being able to stand there in the middle of a Super Bowl was, it, it was crazy. It was emotional. It was awesome. And there's something really, really cool about seeing your dreams realize when you're old enough to appreciate yeah, it. You yeah. know, like, I don't think I would have, I think I would have sort of slept, walked through thirties, you know, or even forties, maybe I would have been like, yeah, you know, like, cool. But I had such an awesome moment before the first one and still do, you know, this is my third one and I'm still, you know, I feel just as grateful and blessed, but I had such an emotional moment of, I I can't believe I'm here, you know, like how great it was and uh, how great it is to be here. And just sort of like a lovely universe surprise. And again, why you don't, I didn't plan for it. I wasn't like my career is incomplete because of it, which probably made it even more special versus now what, Yeah, you know, like that versus that moment you had, it was just this lovely little cherry on top. And it's really fun. It's really cool. Every, every game is. And I mean that like every Sunday morning, I, it's the same thing, you know, you're on the field three hours before kick and, and there's people before COVID, there's a lot more people on the field, but everybody's kicked off right before the anthem. And so it's never lost on me that I'm not kicked off a field. Right. You know, that's pretty cool. But boy, there is something when you're on the field and the anthem on the on Super Bowl Sunday and the flyover and whoever is singing the anthem, you know, all of the pomp and circumstance. And to also share that with players and coaches, yeah. you know, like they're, they'll always ask, like, is this your first one? And you kind of are a part of it. And it's pretty magnificent. Well, I was just thinking about that for the players, for the coaches, for the fans, for everybody, the Super Bowl is a moment that you'll never forget. But I wanted people to hear from you, even for a journalist, like that's a moment that causes the hair on your forearms to stick up and you'll, you'll, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. Yeah. hundred percent. And even, you know, last year's was so weird in Tampa and we yeah. were in moats and we weren't on the field. And so it made me really excited for this year because last year still to me as a little bit of an asterisk right because we were a little bit removed from it and so I'm I think I think I'd probably speak for most people who will be there on Sunday to say that we also really appreciate this one so much more because we're back on the field and we're part of it again but yeah it's um it's if I ever don't get goosebumps from that I should not be doing it because it's it's pretty awesome well Laura there's a most of the listeners come from the United States. They know what a phenomenon the Super Bowl weekend is and Super Bowl Sunday. But some of the listeners come from the rest of the world. And for them, they're not really aware of how big of a deal the Super Bowl is. So I got this little segment, call it my high five. It's my way of kind of doing a virtual high five with you. And I want people to hear what a big deal the Super Bowl is, but especially when you're there on the field. So I'm going to give you like my top five things that I, I would, I could, I've never been to one could only dream what life is like at a Super Bowl. but here it is like the top five Super Bowl highlights for those of you who have no idea what this phenomenon is like in the United States. Number one, the food in the average household on Super Bowl Sunday is amazing. You're, let's just be honest, Laura, you're not getting the food on the sidelines that the average American is eating in their living room on Super Bowl Sunday, right? I'm getting an energy bar from my yeah. backpack at halftime, Jeff. Yeah. While everybody else is consuming more <laughs> chips and more beer and more you know, snacks on Super Bowl Sunday than literally any day of the year. Literally, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because I was going to say yes, in terms of the amount, in terms of healthiness and how you'll feel the next day, probably not good. Right. And I I can't help but think number two on my list is you have the ultimate highs of winning the Super Bowl, but you have this crashing lows of being the team that didn't win the big game. And I'm really right now thinking about the Buffalo Bills having to do the drive of shame for four Super Bowls never coming away with the win, getting that close, but never coming away with the win. Tell us what it's like to interview that team or that coach. 
so hard because now it's funny because when you bring up Buffalo, you know, time changes everything, obviously. And when I think back and go, God, I would kill to be a part of a team that went to four Super Bowls. Yeah. Now they lost all four of them. Super Bowl. So yeah. it's, it's funny, right? So I will say this. I went to a Super Bowl losers party one year and I and the losers playing. know how to party. Is that what you're telling us? Because the owners have to plan for a party. Yeah. Either way, you're so like you're they're preparing for a winning Super Bowl party, but one of you will not have it. And so I, you know, it I went more as a friend role to people who I care deeply about and walked in and it would have been amazing after a win. You know, it was four floors and it was like Cirque du Soleil performers and live music on each floor and the food was phenomenal and it was like a funeral parlor you know like you oh, walk in and you're like no, this would have been terrible. amazing yeah. but you know everybody goes because you have to you know the players the coaches the staff but I think about that every year I don't do that on air but I'll always ask the people I'm friends with on both teams like what do you know about the party? You know, you always yeah, hear things yeah. about, you know, who, what, what famous singers are going to be singing at each party. But I always ask people about the losing party because there's always very sad, funny stories. That I come can with imagine them. all of the money. You got the, literally the circus performers at the losers party. It's going to be hard to have a good time at that thing. It, right. And if you are, you're kind of judging everybody else. Like, Oh, I guess you didn't care too much. Like, yeah, so even right. that where you're like, go have fun celebrate your season you're at the super bowl but yeah that was that was a hard yeah. party to be a part of yeah, it was a hard part well here's number three on my list because you've been announcing and been in the industry so long if you've been to more than one super bowl you get a chance to know tom brady pretty well because pretty much he's going to be at almost every super bowl in the last 10 years or so um here's what's funny so Tom has mostly been with the Patriots and with the NFL and Fox, we're mostly NFC. So I haven't done a lot of games with Tom, but I will say this. I did one this season with him and we don't do in-person meetings right now. And so it was this, you know, there's, it's really cool when you're part of a broadcast team. It's me, it's the analyst, it's the play-by-play -play guy. So there's three of us and then our producer and director. So there's five of us that are in a meeting with Tom Brady. So you're with the quarterback, you're with the head coach, you're with other players and coaches, but we get them with, you know, one-on-one -on -one with this guy or five-on-one. -on -one. And we had Tom, of uh, Tom, you know, maybe a month ago and he was wonderful. It was such a yeah. great conversation. And I will say this, cause I hate when people ask the retirement question, like, I don't want to be asked. I'm enjoying yeah, what I'm doing. Right. I don't want to think about right. Five years from now or a year from now. But I did say to him, Tom, with apologies, because I hate that I'm going to ask anything about you leaving because I'm enjoying watching you. But I asked this of Michael Jordan and Cal Ripken, and it's my goat question. Yeah. And may I ask you? And he right away interrupted me. He said, thank you for including me in that, which I was like, yay for Tom's humility uh -huh. points. And um, so the question that I asked both of them was, when it's time? which part do you think is going to have the most say and sway over your decision to retire? Is it going to be your head? Is it going to be your body or is it going to be your heart? And good question, by and, the way, way to go journalists. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And they, they answer it sometimes similarly, but very differently. Michael said, Michael said it was have to be his, his, what was it? Michael said his, by, oh, it would be his body because his head and his heart were going to lie to him. But his heart would be the one, I mean, that his body would be the one that, you know, that he was like, that's it. That's all I have. But he could talk his head and his heart out yeah. of it, but the body doesn't lie. Cal said similar, but different. He said it would be his heart because he could talk through anything, sure. but deep down he would know when it was time. Tom said right away, he said, it's going to be the kids. And he said, because right now I'm looking at how much they don't have me. And he's like, I'm seeing wow. the selfishness of now. Yeah. He's like, I have, I think it's a 14 year old boy and a 12 year old boy. I, I, I might be 12 and younger. And he said, and I have, you know, a young princess at home and I realize how much they need me. And that was the first time where I had been like, Oh, he's closer to it than everybody yeah. thinks. Yeah. And he did say, he goes, I'm not playing another five years. And, you know, like that was yeah. the only thing where he goes, I could, 
but I'm not because it's not fair at right. home. Yeah. So that changed my goat, my goat question too. Is it your head? Is it your heart? Is it your body? Or is it your family at yeah. home saying it's time? Great question, by the way. Um, two more real quickly. So one of the things I want to point out about being at the big game instead of being at home during the big game is that you miss all of the awesome commercials, right? Commercials. You don't get a chance to see the commercials. They're amazing. Uh, um, I record the game like everybody and either, just for the commercials. Set- hundred yeah. percent or at night. That's the great thing with, you know, your phone. Now, like we get, I get to the hotel room afterwards and I start looking at which ones were trending and I can take a peek, but how crazy is that? Like we really do look to see what commercials do we miss. But this one, number five has to be true, right? Tell me that you've had this moment where you realize I'm on the sidelines and that guy who's in the stands probably paid $60,000 more than the <laughs> average annual income of an American for that seat. And I'm on the yeah. field. Like that has to be a, a thing, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, yeah, just about, you know, again, don't look at anybody else's journey. Don't look at anyone's path. Like my path led me to the field of a Super Bowl. So how ridiculous of me for all those years yeah. to look at other people's career and be like, I don't have that or I want that where I'm at the Super Bowl. But I will say this, sometimes I have to remind myself that in really bad weather games. Oh yeah. You, you remember all, I, yeah, People I got this for free. People paid here. money for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to read. I'm being paid to be here. Stop right. whining. Yeah. Get out there in that green big weather and be a little less soft. So on Sunday, you're going to be on this, on this, uh, this, the field during, yeah. uh, at SoFi stadium. Tell everybody what you're doing on Sunday as much as you can. Uh, I will be, uh, the eyes and the ears down there. I'm in charge of everything, um, that, that especially with the radio, it's so cool because I really am the eyes and the ears. So I can't just tell you that somebody, you know, got hit in the face. I'm going to explain to you about that broken nose on the sideline and the blood coming out and how much blood is on that top. Like I get to graphically describe what I see on the radio. So I will be there um, uh, on the field talking about everything going on uh, during that game. And after I know I can speak for everybody who's listening to this or watching this, who is a football fan, I know you are all tired of this whole conversation for the last two weeks and ready to go. And we feel the same yeah, way. So yeah. it'll be nice to talk about the football. Every, game. Everybody's ready to see the end, the final score, just because <laughs> that means all of the hype is over, right? Totally. We're the same way. We just yeah. get to the game. Let's get to the game. But so, I'll be on Westwood One Radio. I was going to say that. So people, listen, if you're watching, if you're in the U.S. and you're watching the game live, turn the volume on your TV down, watch it on TV, turn the volume down, and okay. they want to listen to your voice. How do they tune in and listen to your voice during the Super Bowl? Go to Westwood One Radio and you can put in what your zip code is um, and it will it will sh- it will show you which um, which station it is on in your radio or on your app. I mean, it's uh, listen, I do this every year with my dad who's like, how do I get you? I'm like, please <laughs> tell just me again. What do I got to do? <laughs> I like I can't keep track of all the stations around yeah. the world. But we are everywhere. So if you are listening, if you are, if you want to turn on your TV or if you're out doing things and you want to have the game on, just look for where Westwood One Radio is on your dial or on your satellite. And that's where I'll be. And uh, I'm going to tell everybody this one more time and actually put it in the notes at the bottom of the show. But this Sunday, I want you to listen to Laura's voice during the game. So seriously, put the game on the TV, mute the volume, and then go ahead and put her voice on the radio and listen to her calling the game while you're watching it um on the tv and and i'll we'll put uh, in the notes how people can tune into the broadcast and listen to your voice i love it it's the jeff bump thank you for yeah. getting, bringing us more listeners it means the world to me that you'd be willing to take out some time i mean that this week all that you have going on and appear on this episode but i just want to tell you laura you're an inspiration not just to women who are trying to break the glass ceiling and kind of be recognized uh, in in a man's world, but you're an inspiration to me and many others like you or like me. So thank you for being on this episode. I can't thank you enough. The hardest thing about this is I have a million questions I would like to ask you and about your incredible story well, and about well, your amazing journey. And can we flip it next time? Yeah, so we'll I do it the other way around. Me. Sure. <laughs> I would love that. I've got more questions that, that not just the goat question, but I will be excited to ask you, but I can't thank you enough when, when, um, 
when this was being talked about and just the first time when it, it was just brought to my attention and said that you would have me on, I can't even tell you just what a joy that was and what a privilege that is. So thank you for everything. Well, thank sure. you for having me. And thank you for everything you've done to just keep us safe and informed now. I love the second chapter of yours. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm glad to be able to, you honor us by being able to do this interview with you on Super Bowl week. You're wonderful. Thank you. Hey, many of you out there have experienced what Laura experienced, this wondering whether or not you're going to be able to make it. Am I good enough to face the challenges in front of me? And I hope you've been inspired by what you heard from Laura today on this episode of Unbeatable. Some of you out there have faced overwhelming challenges, maybe because of your race, maybe because of your gender. I hope you've been encouraged to face those challenges and to be unbeatable in this episode. But maybe for one or two of you, you've experienced what I went through, what Laura went through when you got to the top and it left you looking for more. And if that's you, I wanna challenge you. Don't ever settle for less than reaching your goals. Don't ever just try to get there because in Laura's own words, well, there doesn't exist. You're just moving from one spot to the next. Hey, if you've caught us for the first time, would you go ahead and subscribe to us on social media? You can find us pretty much everywhere. Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. And if you've been listening to us a time or two, why don't you go ahead and rate us and tell everybody in the world how awesome this podcast is. But by the way, before I let you go, I want to give you a special Super Bowl gift. If you haven't already registered and signed up, I want to give you the Unbeatable Army Survival Guide. All you got to do to get it totally free is just go to unbeatablearmy.com and I will give you this tool that I spent four years working on. Thanks for joining us. I hope you've been inspired. I hope you have a great Super Bowl weekend. See you next time.